yeah, no, this is alive, and <laughs> we try to keep our e, you know, our non e uh, rating on our on our podcast. So we'll be you'll be good. I'm looking for an excuse to put an e on an episode, so you know, feel free to swear too. It's up to you. All right. Marginally, a podcast about writing, work, and friendship. I'm Olivia, a corporate drone living in Eastern Europe, working on a novel and daydreaming about lots of other projects. And I'm Megan, a librarian turned freelance book indexer and proofreader, also working on a novel while raising two boys with my husband and making PB&Js by the dozen. Today, we're super excited to share with you an interview with young adult author Brian Catcher. Brian was born in St. Louis, Missouri in 1975. He attended the University of Missouri-Columbia before dropping out of society and bumming around Mexico for three years. He's worked as a fry cook, a market researcher, a welding machine operator, a telemarketer, only lasting one day, and a furniture mover. He lived on an Israeli military base one summer and once smuggled food into Cuba. When he's not writing, he works as a school librarian. He lives in central Missouri with his wife and daughter. He still hasn't paid the parking ticket he got in West Virginia in 1997. You can find out more about Brian at briancatcher.com. Now, on to our interview. Let's go ahead and get started. Brian, if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself, your books, your writing, your day job. Let's just get it all out there right now. <laughs> all right. Uh, my name is Brian Catcher. I live in central Missouri. I'm a husband and a uh, father of a uh, girl who's going to turn 11 in a couple of days. No way. Yeah, yeah. She's uh, she's g- getting up there. My uh, day job is I am a school librarian and computer teacher at uh, two K through two schools, and I have uh, had five young adult novels published. I uh, one of them won the Stonewall Book Award from the American Library Association, and another one won the North Carolina Young Adult Book Award one year. I was very proud of that. You should be very proud of that. I think Almost Perfect, the one that won the Stonewall Award. I think I've known you almost that long. Like, that's the one that I read and got introduced to you through Forever Young Adult. Yes, that was the uh, first book of Forever Young Adult reviewed of mine and uh, the first major website that reviewed one of my books. I was very excited when I read that review. You were, I think, the first author who did an interview. Um, And for our listeners, Forever Young Adult is a book review and pop culture website for adults who are big fans of young adult literature and movies and television. And I wrote for it for four years. And Brian has written for it for longer than that, probably at this point. So you guys can check it out. We'll put a link to it in the show notes. But so balancing a family and a job, two schools actually, dealing with that, plus writing as much as you do because you put out a book every like year or two how how does that work that's a lot (laughs) well it's not easy and they say if there's a way to uh annoy writers to ask them what do you really do and (laughs) uh, fortunately that's often the case it's very hard to pay the bills just on your royalty alone Uh, most uh, authors i know teach or do other work as as well i i think it's wonderful somebody can support themselves and support their family as a 
writer, but at, at this point, it's a, the royalties are a very nice uh, supplement to my income, but it's not my main income. And I'm very lucky in that I really love my teaching job. I love working with kids. I love working with books. I love working with computers. So it, uh, it it's not like I have to uh, force myself to go into work every day. That being said, as a teacher, I have summers off so I can use those to uh, write and write and write. And because uh, I am doing something like that, when they say, okay, who wants to sign up to teach summer school, I can say without a trace of guilt, no, thank you. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So do you write at all during the school year? How does that work? I do write a lot during the school year. I find that uh, editors and publishers don't uh, operate on the uh, September to May plan. So sometimes (laughs) they'll say, okay, Brian, it's uh, middle of August and we need you to get started on a rewrite right now, right? When I'm trying to uh, get my class off the ground. And uh, it's like having two separate jobs that don't relate. My publishers have their own deadlines. My school expects me to do everything I can for the kids. Uh, So it is like having two jobs. Somebody once said being a writer is like having homework every night for the rest of your life. And it is very much like that. I get by with very little sleep. My wife and daughter are usually in bed by 10. So I can sit down and uh, put in a couple of hours of writing. You know, I say I can do that. I don't always do that. Uh, a lot of times I find myself uh, very distracted and then at about 1230, I'll <laughs> hit my stride and really be riding and think, wow, I got to get up at 630 and uh, I, I can't sit here for another hour, even though I'd like to. Yeah. How do you? Wow. So, yeah, you say you get by with very little sleep, but you're serious, like actually very little sleep. Yeah, I, I can. Uh, I, I like to get six hours. I can get by with five. You know, it, it just depends. Uh, I, I don't get tired at night, but my God, when that alarm rings in the morning, I, I feel it. <laughs> so how do you get, I mean, I guess you just have to get up because you have a job to go to. So yeah, no choice. <laughs> I also drink a lot of coffee. I <laughs> just a, a lot of coffee. Uh, Gary Larson, the cartoonist, uh, says caffeine is definitely an ingredient in the creative process. You, you get caffeine in you and strange things start happening. So I, I can't disagree with that. Yeah, I'd have to agree with that also. So so is quitting the old quitting the day job to write dream? Is that something that you toss around every now and then? Or it sounds like you're pretty happy with the way things are, although a little bit more sleep would probably be nice. You know, I, I would be lying if I, I said, if you know, I, I became like Stephen King or John Green and all of a sudden the money was rolling in. I <laughs> I, I cannot say that I would honestly say, no, no, the, the children need me. I, I must uh, continue to work. I, I think I could see myself writing full time. However, I'm also like, uh, this was my 21st year as a teacher. So it's getting to that point where retirement uh, with my pension is looking very possible and teacher retirement. Uh, there, there's a lot of problems of uh, being a teacher, a lot of hard work, but the retirement is excellent. So mm-hmm. that that's not something I, at this point in my life, I feel I could uh, walk away from. So I'm probably going to put in another 13 years. Yeah. You know, my mom taught third grade for about 100,000 years and retired very young. She always kind of said the same thing, that she stayed in the classroom as long as it was a good place for her and for the kids for her to be. But, you know, it was definitely worth it to stick it out for the retirement also. A, a lot of uh, teachers I talk to, they'll say that uh, when they retire, it's usually a certain class that makes that decision for them. Uh, they, <laughs> they have that one class and say, OK, it's uh, time to go, I think. Yeah, it pushes them over the edge. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, and I have to say, so my two boys are, one's in second grade and one's in pre-K. So they're almost the same age exactly as the range that you work with all day long. And yeah, it's, that's a lot. <laughs> they, it, it is a very fun age to teach. Everything is new. Everything is exciting. They haven't heard all your jokes before. Yes. Whenever you show them something new, uh, you don't have to say, oh, we did the, this last year. Uh, I, I already know this. Um, at, at the same time, when you were teaching 25-year-olds how to use a computer, there is a lot of get it out of your mouth. <laughs> yeah, I can. I, I think I've said that about 10 times today. Right. Well, so Olivia and I both are wrapping up the, I guess, rather than calling it the final draft, we'd call them the as good as we're going to be able to get them on our own drafts of our first books. So we're we're kind of starting to get the... I guess the bug to look at something new and get started on a new project, but at the same time want to finish what we started on our original projects. And I guess we wanted to talk to you a little bit as somebody who has had five published novels, you know, so clearly the how to finish one and when you know to finish and when you know to start something new. Talk to you a little bit about that. If you want any, you know, sage advice that you might have, but just in general, how does that process work for you? Well, my friend and uh, fellow writer, Anthony John, uh, once said, uh, when you're writing for YA, uh, that's a difficult audience to write for because they don't stay YA very long. You have a, if you publish a book one year, in four or five years, your audience isn't going to be a teenager anymore. Maybe they're not going to uh, want to read about the high school experience so much anymore. So when you're polishing one, you got to be working on the uh, next and uh, have an idea for the third coming right up. And uh, that, that can be very difficult. I don't do very well trying to juggle multiple projects at the same time. Well, you're juggling a project and a job. Yeah, and then you get your job, and then you get your family, and uh, other uh, things that happen in life. You know, you think I'm going to spend all day uh, working on my book, and then you go downstairs and realize the carpet's all wet, and uh, <laughs> there goes the week. Yeah. <laughs> so... Uh, it's you know, life always uh, gets in the gets in the way. Uh, I, I complained to my wife once uh, that I I just wasn't as prolific as some of these writers, and uh, she said, "Well, you have a family and a job," and I said, "So so that's what's been holding my holding me back. Uh, <laughs> family and job. I got to get rid of that. Um, no, but uh, it it is difficult to uh, try to try to balance the project you just finished, trying to find your agent or your editor or uh, your publisher." while at the same time uh, trying to start a new project. And maybe you're halfway through the new project and think, I know what should have happened in the old one. Or, oh, wait, this this one isn't going anywhere, but I have another idea. And meanwhile, the clock is tick, 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 tick. So, yeah, it, it's, uh, it, it's not a job for uh, people who uh, like, to, like to see things happen immediately. So what are some of the things that you've found worked for you? And, you know, maybe some cautionary tales of, of things like trust me guys i've tried this please don't <laughs> i wish I, I had a you know just uh, like the author uh, w uh, somerset mom he once said there are three rules for writing a novel but unfortunately nobody knows what they are <laughs> right and whatever works <laughs> the first time is not going to work ever again so give it up <laughs> exactly i was very lucky my first two novels were published uh within a year of each other. And I thought, okay, I, I write a novel every year. It gets published every year. This is great. And unfortunately, my next novel was not published till like three or four years after that, and that by a very small press, um, just because 
I just hit a lot of snags. My editor didn't like the next book I wrote. And then she came up with a idea for a science fiction story, which I just couldn't do. That was my fault. I tried and tried, but just couldn't get it. But then she uh, called me up one day and said, Brian, I have a very, I have an idea for a book I'd like you to write. I, I think it's an original idea. I think you'd be perfect for it. It's about a couple of kids and they have terminal cancer and they go on a road trip and they fall in love and they're just really enjoying that last bit of life. Just, just whatever uh, joy they can get uh, knowing that they don't have much time left. And I thought, wow, what a great idea for a book. I wonder why nobody else has uh, come up with this idea yet. So, uh, and uh, I, I think you see what's coming here. I, I do a lot of research on end-of-life experience, about cancer, about cancer treatment. I'm getting ready to go to hospitals to interview doctors. I write about 100 pages. I'm just loving my characters. And then my editor calls me up and says, Brian, have you ever heard of A Fault in Our Stars by John Green? Oh, and I, I, I said, I have heard of that. I, I was hoping you hadn't heard of that. Um, and she said, just stop. The project is dead. No matter how good your book is, people are going to think you're just trying to uh, write a Fault in Our Stars knockoff. So I said, gosh, darn it. I didn't really say gosh, darn it. And uh, it was like that was six months of work down the drain with nothing to show for it, which is too bad because I think it would have been a good book. And maybe someday I'll return to it. But at the moment, it was just a big setback. Fortunately, my editor said, don't worry. I have another idea for a uh, book I want you to write. That one was probably uh, one of my most popular books, The Improbable Theory of Ann and Zach. I was, uh, so I was able to land on my feet. But it's, it just can be very frustrating when your idea doesn't pan out. Or one time I uh, wrote a book. This was not with the same editor. And they were talking. Uh, it had been purchased. I got the advance. We were discussing cover art. And then they changed their mind. So, yeah, even the... Until I see that book on a bookshelf somewhere, I, uh, I'm reluctant to talk about it to other people because you never know what's going to happen. Yeah. So what do you do? I mean, I, I mean, I remember the road trip story because um, at that point we were both writing uh, for Forever Young Adult. And I remember when all that happened. And but just in general, like, do you do you find that taking a break helps? Do you find that starting something new immediately? How do you deal with with just having to throw away? I mean, I guess you can tell yourself that, you know, you learn things and your writing got better and it was practice and blah, 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 and all those things that we do to, you know, make ourselves feel better about it. And they're true. But at the same time, like, like you said, that was six months of work. And, you know, how do you how do you deal with that? It's it's extremely. Yeah, it's it's extremely frustrating. I mean, I, I don't uh, look for my uh, paycheck from teaching and my principal's not going to say, sorry, your teaching just wasn't up to snuff this month so you, you you don't get paid not uh, yet don't um, let betsy devos hear this interview because i'm sure they're in we're going to the uh same thing in the uh, missouri here though the uh, governor may be on his way out uh keep your fingers crossed um but uh yeah but with uh with writing you're you're really uh it, it's a crapshoot you could uh spend a, uh six months to a year on something that's going to have no uh dividends whatsoever and that's just something you have to accept as a writer is not every until you are Stephen King, not everything you are going to write is going to be automatically published. That was a lesson I learned uh, 
very early on with my third book. I, I just uh, I, I thought, okay, it's uh, first book published, second book published. They both won awards. I thought, okay, it's, it's happening. And then all of a sudden it didn't. And you have to just tell yourself, moving on. And, you know, it's, it's easy to tell yourself that. It's kind of kind of hard when, uh, when it actually happens, but you can't give up. I've known too many authors who uh, gave up after those frustrations, and I, I think they're going to regret that. Yeah, yeah. So how, how do you keep yourself motivated? I think that uh, I, I know so many talented writers, writers who are probably more talented than me, who have not had the luck I have, who did not get their books in front of the right publisher at the right time like I did. And I don't want to, I don't want this ever to end. As long as there are people willing to look at books I've read, as long as there are people who want to read books I write, I, I know how lucky I am to be in this situation. And I am going to uh, keep that up. I'm going to be writing till people absolutely say, we don't want to hear anymore from you, Brian. Um, <laughs> I really enjoy this. I enjoy hearing from my readers. I enjoy uh, most of what people say online. I enjoy going into <laughs> libraries and seeing my book there. And um, I you, you know you, I can't stop with just my first books. I got to just keep going and keep going and uh, keep letting people know I'm out there. Can you tell us a little bit, I guess, on that note, like how you stayed motivated doing your first draft of your first book? Like, how did you come to write your first book and how did you stick with that? Because sometimes in a way I can understand because now you can see the positive side of all that work. But what about when you're going into it blind? Well, I was living uh, down in Mexico at the time and my girlfriend uh, unexpectedly moved to Germany and I was just bummed out in southern Mexico, and I thought, what do Americans do when they're heartbroken in Mexico? They write books. So <laughs> I thought, okay, well, you know, what the heck, I'll, I'll write a book. And honest to God, I never thought it would be published. I thought, this is just something I'm doing to fill the time, uh, just a hobby I'm going through. And, you know, I, I wrote on it, and I wrote on it, and I wandered back to the U.S., and I wrote some more, and I wrote some more. And... I joined a writer's group and I showed it to them and they said, I said, what do you think? And they said, start completely over, scrap this draft and go back from the beginning if you're serious about this. And I thought, am I serious about this? Um, I, I didn't especially want to rewrite 300 pages, but I thought, oh, yeah, I, I've invested so much time. I might as well uh, give the publisher something good to reject. So I rewrote it and rewrote it and sent it off to the publishers and all the editors. And But this time I was thinking, oh, wow, maybe maybe somebody actually will look at that. And then I got the harsh reality. Nobody ever wants to look at your stuff. I mean, rejection letter, rejection letter, rejection letter. My wife will uh, tell you how easy it was to live with during that period. And um, I had literally sent the manuscript. This was uh, Playing With Matches, my first book, to every place I could think of, not just in the U.S., but Canada and Great Britain as well. And nobody was interested in reading past page one. So I thought, okay, it's, it's time to move on. But by this time, I had the book. I wanted to see something in print. But the very last place I could think to send it was a contest to Random House. And I didn't hear anything for so long. I assumed I didn't win and nobody bothered to tell me. But then one day I got an email from an uh, editor at Random House and she said, uh, you didn't win, but I, I like your project and I, I think it has potential. So let's, uh, I'm going to give you some suggestions. And if you'd like to rewrite it and send it to me, I'd love to look. So I thought, okay, I'm going to just absolutely concentrate on rewriting this book. It was May, so summer vacation was beginning. 
Um, I thought, I'm going to let nothing distract. Three months, concentrate, concentrate, concentrate. I'm going to think of nothing but the book. Less than a week later, my wife comes up to me and says, hey, honey, guess what? I'm pregnant. <laughs> so, I thought, now I am very, very distracted, and I only have nine months to do this, or it's never going to happen. So I, w- I was lucky that that first book was published when it was, because when my daughter was born, I probably would have thought, well, I, I can't waste a bunch of time writing when I have to concentrate on being a father. So uh, it's so much of this is luck. So much of it is just getting the right book in front of the right publisher at the right moment. And I'm, I'm just been incredibly lucky. Uh, when Sophie was a baby, uh, some of my earliest memories uh, with her, me walking up and down the house, carrying her on my arm, uh, trying to flesh out uh, the rewrite for that first book. Yeah, that's funny. I actually wrote a significant part of the um, first draft of the book that I'm working on while I was feeding my son at night, my second one, my second son, not second book. Um, yeah, like longhand on, in a notebook. And then I'd get up in wow. the morning. Well, I get up in the morning and then type it up and, you know, kind of edit it a bit. And I actually discovered that process works really well for me. Um, although now I don't have to worry about feeding a baby at the same time. But yeah, there's a lot of wakeful nights and empty time that in a weird way, and you're tired, and so your subconscious, I think, is a little bit more open. I don't know. There are some things... I never thought about that, but yeah, yeah. Who knows? Maybe it wouldn't have happened if you hadn't been up all night with babies, so or a baby. I really like the way both of you sort of talk about how, like, some people would say, well, that's a reason not to write, you know, or whatever, like, it's too distracting or whatever, but instead you can kind of seize the time and the moments and they all add up to something. That is a very good point. You know, when you become a parent, especially a parent of a small child, you're not going to be going out with your friends as much, you're not going to be traveling as much, you're not going to be drinking as much or uh, whatnot, so it kind of forces you, well, I'm at home. Got nothing else to do. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. Uh, and I, I might as well uh, concentrate on, uh, on on the book. This, this can uh, kind of make me stable. I always tell my wife, uh, if it wasn't for her, uh, I probably would have just kept traveling and been dead in the Congo by now or something. So uh, <laughs> sometimes the family can really uh, be that uh, stabilizing force uh, a writer needs. Yeah, I think that's a really, that's a really good thing. So... Just to move back, I was just wondering, so you, you're playing with matches, you ended up sending into a contest, so directly to the publisher, and I know that this summer you started working with agent Mandy Hubbard. Um, Is this the first time you've worked with an agent? What has that been like? Did you just go straight to working with your editor uh, at Random House and moving on that way? I have had a very unusual path to being uh, published. Most uh, people who are published with a uh, large publishing house, they will not look at your manuscript unless it comes from an agent. Mm -hmm. I kind of stuck in the, through the back door with the contest. I uh, started working with Claudia Gable when she was Random House. And when she went over to HarperCollins, she kind of took me with her, uh, just contacted me and said, hey, I have some book ideas and I'd like you to work with it. So I have just been incredibly uh, lucky. She worked with me on four of my five published books, uh, but I wrote a, uh, recently wrote a sixth book, and she said it just uh, wasn't her thing, but I, I really liked it. I wasn't prepared to let it go, so I contacted uh, several agents, and uh, Mandy Hubbard said, I also like this book. I think it should be published, so do a rewrite, and uh, then I will show it to some publishers, and that's where I uh, am right now. I'm just so very happy to be working with uh, Mandy. She is great. She is really uh, doing a lot of work with this book. It's nice to have somebody else who uh, 
believes in your product as much as you do. Yeah, that's really exciting. She's kind of a big deal as far as YA agents and authors go. So that's congratulations. I was just so pleased when she wrote me. Yeah, I, I can imagine. So what are you doing right now then? If she's got your book out on submission, are you? is this the time? What does this look like for you as far as your writing life goes when something is out of your hands? What do you do? I'm working on the next one, about uh, 70 pages in, uh, trying to trying to uh, churn out the next idea, though I have to admit I went on a, a video game binge uh, after I uh, saw the... Uh, <laughs> Final uh, draft to Mandy. I, I kind of played a, a lot of civilization uh, <laughs> for a couple of weeks. Uh, I do uh, sometimes. I when I when I have a deadline, I think I can't waste. If I'm in front of a computer, I can't be playing a video game. But when, when that's done, I think okay, I'm gonna watch a lot of TV and waste a lot of time for uh, just <laughs> just a little bit to reward myself. But no, back again writing a uh, another book, and who knows where this one will go? It's uh, it's exciting and scary thinking I'm going to invest hundreds of hours in something that may or may not reward me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I hope it does. Well, thank you very much. Cause I've really enjoyed all of your books so far. So I actually just the other day, um, no, just today I ran across a story. It was sort of a Deacon Locke esque story. A kid took his mom to prom because she missed her high school prom because she was pregnant with him. And so 18 years later he took his mom as his date. So. Well, that's nice. Was it a true story or a, a? Yeah, yeah, it was in the newspaper. I'll send it to you. Nice, nice. Yeah, so I was, I was like, oh, that's cool. So for our listeners, uh, Brian's latest book, Deacon Lock Goes to Prom, is about a boy who takes his grandmother to prom. And one of the things I like about your books is they they don't just deal with just kind of the fun parts of you know being a teenager. And I mean, they're all. There are romantic relationships, and there are things like proms, and there you know all the sort of what we think of as trappings of teenage life, but you also tackle some pretty, you know, pretty serious stuff too, from, you know, playing with matches with the, 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 a girl who had severe burns all over her body and the bullying and the issues, issues there all the way through, you know, transgender and, you know, even Deacon Locke deals with some pretty serious, uh, pretty serious things. Um, like Deacon's grandmother is mental going through kind of mental decline and, and, um, I think as my when I was in t when I was in high school, my grandfather had Alzheimer's, and he ended up dying when I was in college. And Deacon and his grandmother's story really rang really true to me. So I guess where I'm going with this is how do you do your research and really try to make sure you're telling the stories as true as you can? What's what's your process there? Why do you enjoy Deacon Locke? When you're writing YA, on the one hand, I, I like to think that the teenage experience never really changes. I was talking to a group of high school kids, and I said, you know, when I was in high school, I used to hang out at the mall and try to meet girls and watch MTV. I, I don't know what you guys do these days. And a student said, well, we hang out at the mall and try to meet girls and watch MTV. So, uh, but there, there is always that. You realize you're on the cusp of adulthood, and it's scary. You realize that maybe your parents weren't right about everything, but if they're not right, what is? The first time you look at somebody and they say, yeah, I like you too, or the First time they say no, not in a hundred years. Um, it, it's just something I, I think uh, really hasn't changed since World War II, and uh, that's a theme you can always build on. At the same time, um, when I was in high school, books people really considered teenagers not to be young adults, but to be uh, older children. Mm -hmm. So books for teenagers were bluffy and light and preachy. Yeah, issue books. Issue they books. were all after school special. Yes, everything was very 
black and white. The, this is right and this is wrong, and uh, let's have no further. Um, I like the kids today. They are dealing with issues that have already always been there, such as transgenderism. But for the first time, people are saying, "Let's discuss it. Let's have a uh, let, let's talk about this." And I was proud. I think I was the second YA uh, writer after Julianne Peters' Luna to uh, have a a book about a transgender character. And uh, I think teenagers, I used to be a junior high librarian, and those guys were very picky. I think that's great when it comes to books. You don't want to waste your time on Mm -hmm. uh, something that doesn't float your boat. An adult would start a book, read a hundred pages and think it's not that good, but I read this far, might as well see how it ends where (laughs) a younger person might read 10 pages and say, I'm not interested. What else do you have? So it's very difficult to write for teenagers, but at the same time, if you can do it successfully, it's incredibly rewarding. It's nice to think that I've been out of high school for 25 years, but I, I still remember what it was like. I can still tell the stories. Now, when you're writing a character who's very different from yourself, that's when you got to do the research. And uh, Almost Perfect about the transgender girl, that was where I had to do so much research. I succeeded partially in retrospect, uh, looking at things reviewers have said. There, are, I, I had some failures with that book, too, and I, the fault is completely mine. But whenever you're writing outside your comfort zone, you can't do too much research. Uh, when my editor asked to write a book about a bunch of geeks, which turned into the improbable theory of Anne and Zach, I said, you know, that cancer book, that would have taken a lot of research, but asking me to write about geeks, uh, you, you came to the right guy there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and no, so do you do your research first or do you do some first and then as you're writing and questions come up, you have to stop um, and fill in blanks? How, how do you manage that? Because I want to mention too that in Deacon Lock, there's a love interest who's also from a different cultural background from you and from Deacon. And so that, you know, that and that played into it a little bit too. I usually do research. I do a lot of research at the beginning, but it has to continue throughout the book. Um, um, when I, because uh, the book will bring up different problems and situations, and what you don't want to do is say, I'll just make something up, I'm sure it's right, because your readers will call you on that, and especially doing something as um, uh, serious as about race or religion or nationality, you don't, you don't want to misrepresent somebody who's different from you. Uh, when I was writing a deacon's girlfriend, they went out to eat, and I, I thought, is there anything Muslims can't eat besides pork? I know they can't eat pork, but can they eat seafood? I had a, That's just an example of a, something I had to uh, look up, and I always learn a lot. So do you? how do you organize your research? For a librarian, I am incredibly disorganized. I, um, I, I get books, I get on the internet, I take notes, and then I lose all those things and have to do it again because... Uh, in, um, but the thing I find most helpful is to interview real people. I interviewed a lot of transgender people when I was researching uh, Almost Perfect, just online. I would uh, get on transgender support websites and say, hey, I'm writing a novel, and I very much would like to know the answers to these questions. Who would like to help me? And uh, when you get firsthand stories, I think that's the best thing a writer can do. Yeah, for sure. Uh, is it different to write uh, especially in this genre, as your daughter gets older and closer to your reader age? Somewhat, somewhat. Uh, she's read a couple of my books. There's a couple I don't, uh, haven't let her read just yet, much to her annoyance. But uh, <laughs> it, it, 
she's going to be a teenager a lot sooner than I'm comfortable with, and uh, I'm going to have to be careful that she or or her mannerisms don't show up in uh, one of my books. <laughs> I, I, I try to uh, my my family out of my books just because no character is perfect and nobody wants to see themselves as a uh, flawed person in a uh, novel, especially one by their father. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good point. That's a good question. Yeah. This has been super. I have really enjoyed this talk. Is there anything that you wanted to make sure that you get to share before we... Wrap it up. Well, you already made the plug for Forever Young Adult. I uh, <laughs> encourage people to go to that website. And I'm very uh, excited that you guys are both writing books. Um, is there any uh, way I can find out what they're about, what your uh, what uh, subject matter is? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so mine is a young adult contemporary. So I've been taking furious notes on everything that you've been saying. Um, and it is... I mean, you know how it is trying to describe what a book is about. Exactly. Uh, it's about everything. Um, <laughs> no, it's it's about a girl who, after the suicide of her best and only friend, moves from a small town in Tennessee to a Houston suburb and has to kind of reinvent herself and deal with her past. Which sounds very powerful, very uh, topical. Well... I, you know, like you said, I've been working on it for five years, so it's like, oh man, you know, everyone I was writing it for is now in college, so hopefully they're they're all still out there. But that's one of the things I've been really interested in is, um, you know, the way that you managed to to combine fun and, you know, like you said, the going to the mall and hanging out and trying to get dates with the stuff that happens in teenagers' lives because they're humans and they have complicated lives just like adults do, and. Uh, how you do it without writing a capital I issue book. Be very excited to read that. Well, I'm happy to let you. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah, whenever people say that, I'm always like, yeah, me too. <laughs> no, I'm joking. What, no, I, what I really like about YA is that sense of fun. Um, I'm not writing in the genre, but I really like the way that you can kind of combine that. I think a lot of A <laughs> adult books just get really bogged down in their own seriousness. So I'm trying to make my book sometimes funny as well. My book is about a... American woman living in Moscow working in kind of corporate inv investigations. So it is basically kind of a spy thriller type thing, although I don't really read in that genre. So it kind of straddles a number of genres probably. But yeah, it's a sort of corporate investigation thriller kind of book. And sounds like you're really putting your uh, own life experiences uh, to work there, which is great. <laughs> yeah, um, she's not me, but, you know, there's some similarities. Yeah, people always, always say your book characters are in some way uh, an extension of yourself. I, I find that happens to me a lot, but, you know, your travels, that's really going to help you with writing something like that. The readers are going to be able to tell. She didn't get this from reading the Russia entry in the encyclopedia. She uh, knows why. <laughs> yeah, I hope so, actually. The reason I started writing it, partly my own kind of ideas and stories, but also because a lot of what you read about the region is really pretty unfair to the people who actually live here. So it's a lot about like American goes somewhere and kind of gets corrupted and then, you know, leaves like a worse person because they came to this country, you know, and like all the women are prostitutes. So I really wanted to show something different and more nuanced. People need that. People need to see uh, what, what the rest of the world is like. Things they ha haven't and probably will never experience firsthand. That's that's why we read. Yeah, so we'll see. <laughs> cool, yeah. No, so thank you so much, Brian. It's really 
Interesting. And it's been really interesting to sort of look through the really varied background that you, well, the, the different types of books that you've written. So all the subjects are really different, obviously, and, and the characters sound like pretty full characters, you know. And I really like how varied they are. It's uh, the, my first book, the main character was just an absolute extension of myself. And since then, <laughs> I, it's harder and harder to try to uh, write the guy who's not that uh, awkward, funny nerd guy. Yeah. Well, you do a good job, I think. Thank you. Olivia, you would really get a kick out of Everyone Dies at the End. I'm totally going to go buy all your books and read them on my yeah. phone. So. <laughs> no, so <laughs> Olivia, Olivia and I met in college through, well, we lived in the same dorm, but also through the student newspaper. So I think the uh, Everyone Dies at the End would especially appeal, but they're all excellent. Oh, I appreciate that. That's my unloved third. Well, no, it's it's actually one of my favorite ones. So take that. Let's start with that one. (laughs) Yeah, it's just a lot of fun. But anyway, yeah. So I would encourage all the listeners to also do the same thing: run out and buy all of Brian's books if you haven't already. And thank you so much for all your advice and you're just sharing all the things that you've gone through. And best of luck with book number six, and I hope um, and number seven, and eight, and nine, and ten. I hope so too. Thank you uh, both very much for having me. I really enjoyed myself. And that's it for this week. You can find us online at marginallypodcast.com and on Instagram at marginallypodcast. Our email is podcast at marginallypodcast.com. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to our newsletter. The sign-up form is on our website. And if you enjoy the show, please consider rating it and leaving a review in your podcast app and or sharing an episode with a friend. This will help us to grow our community. Thanks for listening and happy writing. Marginally is produced by the two of us, Megan and Olivia. So excuse any amateur issues. We're working on it. Theme music is It's Time by Skarika Rinkaska. Show notes for every episode are available at marginallypodcast.com. Thanks for listening. I I, I was going to say, I think your mom's going to love that she just got (laughs) called out on her age.